It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Today's show is also brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 517 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, May 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. If you're interested at all in the off-seasons of any teams right now that are not currently in the playoffs, find the local Locked On show for that team. You can hear all about the Pelicans or the... Uh, Grizzlies or any other team that's up high in the draft or if you want to hear about the playoff teams Locked On Warriors, Locked On Raptors of course right here, Locked On uh, Bucks and who's the other team? The Blazers if you want to hear about the Blazers at the end of their season Locked On Blazers will have you covered there too and if you find a show on the network that you want to subscribe to please subscribe, rate, review, support it it's the best way to do it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify Google Play and Himalaya Uh, if you're in the market for a new podcast app Himalaya is the one to try out it's free, it's good for personalizing your own playlists and, uh, yeah, make sure you check it out. All right, that's going to do it for the opening spiel. Oh, one more thing. Make sure you're getting your iTunes reviews and your screenshots sent to me via DM to be put into the draw for the Serge Ibaka jersey, the Jose Calderon jersey, and the framed Carlos Delfino picture. Um, get those in. There's, uh, I don't know, probably like a dozen people in it right now. So you got a pretty good shot of winning if you get me in a screenshot and a, D- and a, uh, a review on iTunes. And uh, I'll pull the names on Friday the 24th to uh, pick the winner. All right, let's get to today's show. Joining me to talk a little bit about last night's Game 4 and look ahead mostly to Game 5 and also talk about a bit of news that came down today regarding a certain Toronto Raptor from CBS Sports. It's our pal, James Herbert. What's going on, man? We're not going to talk about Carlos Delfino? We could talk about Carlos Delfino. It is Bucks and Raptors. You know, there's the, it's like woven between those two teams, the, the history of Carlos Delfino, so... We could. There's the Delfino Bowl. Do you have yeah. Do you have thoughts on Carlos it. Delfino? You just want to get out there right now. I I think I would just like to know what he's up to at this point. I haven't <laughs> seen him in a while. I haven't heard from him. I don't know what he's doing. He was he was not at at Mondu's thing, was he? I don't I don't think he was there. Um, from what I remember. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure what he's up to, man. He is currently playing for. <laughs> Uh, Lavorpiu Bologna of the Serie A2 in Italy, I'm guessing that is. So that's cool. 
yeah. That's great. I love that he's still playing. I have yeah. no idea. 36 years old, still ripping it up. Congrats, Carlos Delfino. Maybe we can get a framed picture of him with Laborpiu Bronia as well. Um, but you'll have to settle for the Raptors one for this giveaway. Um, James, we're not here to talk about <laughs> Carlos Delfino as much as that would be nice. We're here to talk about uh, Raptors Buck Series, which is tied at two, which is kind of crazy considering everyone kind of buried the Raptors after two games. I was not feeling especially great about the prospects of the Raptors coming back and making it a series. I didn't feel great going into last night's game. I just thought like Kawhi and Pascal playing 50 plus minutes would have left the Raptors a little bit too tired to you know muster enough enough of an effort to hold off the Bucks in another game, but. Lo and behold, those two not playing particularly well, or I don't want to say that. They were both fine. They just weren't dominant. They combined for like 26 points. That didn't matter because everyone else was very good. Um, First, I guess, like, did you have any big takeaways from last night's night's game you want to get off your chest before we move ahead to previewing game five? Or, um, I don't know, what are you thinking today in the hours after the game four blowout by the Raptors? I still can't believe Kawhi is like, dunked on Giannis with his left hand and like he did that while tired and hurt and like he's, he's like sort of limping around afterward like I, I'm just kind of replaying that moment in, in my mind still a little bit but I mean look I, I think my takeaways are probably similar to yours like that that looked like the Raptors like playing Raptors basketball in a way that not only was I unsure if they'd be able to do uh, just in in the playoffs you know with with how they've how they've performed thus far on offense. I mean, they've had some decent offensive games, but I don't think they've ever, they've looked at any point quite as comfortable as they did last night. And I think the fact that they did that against a Bucks team that not only was like the best defensive team in the NBA for the vast majority of the season and like overall in the regular season uh, and in the playoffs, but like a Bucks team that like specifically seemed to have the Raptors a little out of sorts uh, in that second game like they, they mm-hmm. looked like they were unsure of what to do they they looked like the the fact that they were um sort of selling out uh, for for rim protection was actually making the raptors think um but in retrospect game that game two really looks like an aberration because for three of the four games uh i think they've looked you know probably more in rhythm than they did for most of the philly series mm-hmm. on offense uh, more comfortable uh, especially the guards i would say um, and and I, I think Pascal as well for most of the series looked a little more comfortable, um, but yeah, I mean to see them just the all around effort, and it's not just the shots going in. It was like I mean Nurse was talking afterwards about their their cutting and their spacing and their relocation and their respacing. Like if you just watch the kind of the, the amount of running around that like Norm and Fred VanVleet did when they got on the court, and you look at how Lowry played, how aggressive he was with the ball, without the ball, in transition, like, just sort of his physicality, like, going in and not being afraid of the big dudes and getting to the line. Like, I, I just thought, uh, you know, too maybe a little too often in the postseason when the team wins, they default to, like, you know, like, we were the more aggressive team. We set the tone. <laughs> like, blah, blah, blah. We hit first. But, like, like, that game is, like, why people talk like that. Like, the Raptors, like, that all that like sort of swagger and confidence that they did not have in the one awful game in game two uh, that they showed like some up in the other games like that was just like to an extreme that we haven't seen in quite a while like they played like they did not fear this team at all uh, they played with just an aura of like yeah like we, we can do this thing and that that was apparent I, I was gonna say we were right from the opening tip but that's not true that, that was apparent uh, from a few minutes into the game onward mm-hmm 
Yeah, Nurse called that timeout, I think, at like 9.09 of the first quarter. Yeah. And then Kyle came out and scored like, I don't know, eight straight points or something crazy like that. And yeah. that was kind of what swung the game. And I thought you made a good point about the relocation. I thought they were really, really smart. There's, there's been a lot. And I think they kind of got into some really bad habits in that Sixers series just because everything was so stagnant and sticky and kind of yes. had to be because they had nothing else other than Kawhi running high pick and roll and trying to get something out of that. And, like, it just they, – they couldn't really – grease the wheels in a way that they would against most opponents in that series and they come out of that into this Bucks series against a better team like I, the Bucks are better than the Sixers but there's just more room there's less just like enormous seven foot two monsters in your face like they don't have a 6'10 point guard who just makes everything difficult and I'm rehashing a point I've made already on the podcast but like it's just it, I, I do feel like Maybe it took them a couple of games to realize, oh, oh, like, oh, not every series has to be the Sixers series. We can actually run our stuff. And I thought Kyle in mm-hmm. particular was really good. You know, there were a couple times last night where he'd run a pick and roll with Gasol, and he'd sort of dump it off to, off to Gasol on the roll, and then he'd kind of like relocate like a jitterbug out to the wing, and then boom, he's getting found yeah. for a three. And it was just like, yeah, this is what the Raptors are, man. This is like culture reset, plus also having Kawhi and kind of like the post-Gasol trade sort of flow that they were able to establish all kind of coming together um it's just it's been really really fun to watch yeah i think i think the last thing you had me on we were talking about the gasol trade and um kind of like I, I remember vividly being at that that first gasol game at msg and thinking to myself and look and he had barely spent any time with his teammates at this point but he went to the bench and uh, ibaka came in and i was like I don't like watching this team when Mark isn't on the court anymore. <laughs> and that was the first game. Like, the playmaking that he's doing in this series is nuts. And yeah. the chemistry that he has with Kyle. I mean, these two guys are just absolutely brilliant basketball players. And uh, I, I am just, uh, he is picking the Bucks apart. And not in, like, a traditional kind of way, but he's just, like, sort of quarterbacking from the three-point line or the high post and, like, kind of directing other guys and, like, this, this is what we didn't really see from them in, in the Philly series is just like so much cutting and yeah. just so much good movement, whether it's player movement, whether it's ball movement. Like this was like why when they did the Gasol trade, I was like, this is like the perfect center for Nick Nurse. Like Nurse wants his team to be unpredictable. He wants them to, to play fast. And that doesn't mean just in transition. That means in, if you do end up in a half-court situation – like, you want to be putting pressure on the defense at all times. You want to run enough stuff so that they make a mistake. It's, like, it's obviously a different offensive system than the Warriors for, like, pretty obvious reasons, but, like, the, the sort of idea is the same. Mm-hmm. And that this is the, the first time uh, in, in a while that the Raptors have, like, kind of been functioning that smoothly. And I think, yeah, Kyle from the start, for sure, but I think Mark had... Uh, a hell of a lot to do with it, uh, with just how he organizes the team and his passing. And then I thought, you know, like Van Vliet came in and played obviously better than we've seen in some time just in terms of shot making. But I, but I don't even think it was just shot making. I think when, when they had Van Vliet on the court and when they're playing small and they're doing all this stuff, like they just looked so much faster than Milwaukee. Like they made the Bucks look slow. Mm-hmm. Like the, the thing about the Bucks is like they – tend to be able to cover ground really really well and a lot of that is because of their length but uh, a lot of it is because they have like really athletic guards and wings but their bigs are not that athletic they're not that mobile 
and I think you're probably going to see some adjustments in this area, but like a lot of these lineups that they play, the Raptors can really pick on the Ilias Silvas and Miritiches of the world. They can uh, put Brooke Lopez in some uncomfortable positions. As great as a rim protector as he is, it's hard for him to run around the entire court and track everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just thought the Bucks were like a step slow almost all night, and like, at certain points, you'd see a couple of possessions. Like, I remember the Raptors, at a certain point in the fourth, they had a shot clock violation. And you're thinking, oh, like, maybe the Bucks like, are actually, like, figuring this thing out. Like, the effort uh, is picking up. And then, like, the next possession, the Raptors would run a, a little more stuff. And they'd end up with a wide-open layup. And you could just see Milwaukee uh, in this position where, where it's like, oh, man, like, we're on the road. And, like, we can, like, get a couple of good things to happen. But it was just, like, a really big hill to climb because of, uh, how kind of porous the Bucks defense was for a lot of the game, and and I when I say it was porous, like I'm not uh, discrediting what the Raptors did because it was like the, the Raptors were what like made the Bucks look that way. Like yeah. all year, they have been able to make up for the sort of deficiencies of, of their big men uh, with their scheme and with the the sort of length and athleticism and the just the quality of the defense they have in the perimeter. But the Raptors are. I, I think really exploiting that now in Bucks or now like this is what I wrote about last night. Like I didn't write a Raptors story, like I wrote about their offense, but like I tried to focus it on the Bucks angle because I think that's really interesting. Like the Bucks are now a place uh, that I, I could say they haven't been all year, but I think after the, the game one loss against Boston, uh, they were sort of talked about in a similar way. Uh, but they're in a place where it's like, oh man, this team has had the charmed year. They faced almost no adversity, and now they're really being challenged. Like I, I think. The, the Raptors have put them in a really difficult position now in the way they're playing offensively. Yeah, I like the point you made about the bigs being a little bit cumbersome because I think that plays right into Gasol's hands, right? Especially considering, like, yeah. Gasol himself is not fast, but the passes he throws are direct and are carving <laughs> through whatever gaps that those cumbersome bigs are opening up when they're having to come up to guard him. And, you know, that all sort of stems from him, like, shooting threes now and being confident in stepping into those things. Like, that all sort of leads oh, yeah. into the health of the offense. And I think we saw... I'm not sure who pointed this out last night, but there were, like, back-to-back possessions where... Like Gasol found Kawhi on a high-low feed, you know, because he was sort of seeing how they were overplaying towards Gasol, and he like directed Kawhi to do the exact same thing twice in a row. And I think the big-to-big passing's been really good in this series as well. And I think we saw last night, like, oh yeah, okay, there's two bigs sort of corralling the ball when when Gasol has it on the post or wherever he is, and then it's like, oh, but they left Pascal Siakam under the basket, and Gasol was smart enough to uh-huh. beat that with a pass, and then look who's dunking. Um, it's it's all been really really, and that's just like high IQ guys. Like that, that like that's what the Raptors have, man. That's what they traffic in. It's just dudes who are really really smart, and I feel like they can over the course of an entire series really sort of find those weaknesses in a defense if they present themselves. Um, you mentioned that the Bucks are kind of in a position where they haven't been all season. I know people were freaking out after the Celtics game one, but like. I don't know mm-hmm. where you were at on the Celtics. I never really took them all that seriously, and I don't think they had quite the tools to take advantage of Milwaukee the way Toronto kind of has shown that they have with the last two games. Um, like, has their veneer, veneer been like chipped at all for you the last couple of games? Like, are you still like viewing Milwaukee? I'm not sure where you were coming into the series, but like through two, like through through four games now that it's two two. You know, compared to when it was zero zero. Are, are you feeling more or less confident in Milwaukee's ability to walk away with this series? Um, I, I, it hasn't changed that much, to be honest. Like, I thought 
this would be a long and really close series. I, I picked Raptors in seven, but like to be like very honest, like a lot of that was like, oh, I made that pick a month earlier, and I kind of just was like, screw it, I'm doubling down. <laughs> like I thought <laughs> it made sense that the Bucks were were favored, right? Like yeah. all the evidence pointed, uh, like statistically to the Bucks being the better team over the course of the season. Statistically, uh, they like completely dominated the, the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. Uh, in a way that, I mean, you know, the Raptors dominated the first round, but, like, the Philadelphia series was, like, you know, it was it was a very close to going the other way. And I, and I think um, it, it made sense to me that, especially given home court advantage, that most people were picking the Bucks, even though I picked the Raptors. So I was kind of just going into this thinking, like, this will be a great series. Mm-hmm. And in game two, I was a little worried, like, oh, like, I this shouldn't mean everything because the Raptors just aren't playing well. Uh, but there's no guarantee they win the next one, and then like that prediction could look really dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think on paper like these were two pretty evenly matched teams, and uh, no results aside from like a, a short series on either end would have shocked me. But I, I do think to to sort of answer your question in a more like immediate basketball sense, like uh, I think this does feel a little, a little different from the Boston series just because the Raptors were a better offensive team than the Celtics all year. Like, the Celtics had a ton of talent, uh, but they had difficulty harnessing that. They had difficulty uh, being more the sum of their parts. And, you know, they that first series that they won where they, like, dominated the Pacers and swept them, like, they dominated with defense because Indiana couldn't score. Mm-hmm. Like, Boston, in, in that series, like, their offense was not actually that good at all. Mm-hmm. And they really struggled against this Bucks team uh, in terms of scoring. And uh, I think the Raptors are just built differently. And we saw last night, I think, what kind of the Raptors at their best in terms of, like, aesthetics, like in terms of ball movement, in terms of spacing, in terms of, like, connectedness. Like, that, that's what that looks like offensively, and that's what they can do to the Bucks team if they, if they play like that and the Bucks are a little off their game. Uh, and, and then we've also seen that the Raptors are adaptable over the course of the playoffs in terms of like, all right, if if the like strength in numbers approach, if you will, isn't working, then like you can just have a big Kawhi game or a big Pascal game or whatever, and they can win sort of ugly uh, with, with their defense too. I mean, I, I think the Bucks are in a weird spot because uh, – their offense in the half court has been bad all series, mm-hmm. uh, and the Raptors have clearly placed an emphasis. I mean, every team places this, this emphasis uh, when they play Milwaukee, but I think the Raptors have gotten better at keeping the Bucks out of transition. Um, so, uh, you know, the the offense there haven't been a lot of good signs. The defense is what you thought the Bucks would kind of hang their hat on, and uh, the the defense there, there's now there are now some cracks there, and they're gonna have some real questions to answer and. I am in no means burying the Bucks like some people bury the Raptors. Like that would be like colossally stupid, uh, based on what they've done all year. Um, yeah, I'm just sort of interested to see what they do because Budenholzer is fascinating when you're talking about adjustments, right? Because he was always the guy that like with a, when he was coaching Atlanta, it was like this guy doesn't make doesn't adjust enough, blah blah blah. And when he talks about it, he usually says what a lot of coaches say is like. It, it's not really about game plan and adjustments. Like sometimes you like you're always looking for that, but a lot of times it comes down to effort and how hard you play and blah blah blah. And by the way, that's not just him. Like I was just on a conference call where Nick Nurse said almost that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of coaches believe that, and then they secretly like they also spend all their time uh, 
like obsessing over adjustments because like that's what coaches can control. They can't control the effort and things like that. But I, I remember there was this whole debate um, coming into the postseason and specifically coming into that Boston matchup. Like, can the Bucks get away with playing defense the same way they played in the regular season? Like, especially if they're guarding the Kyrie, Brooke Lopez pick and roll and blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, are they just going to surrender all these jumpers? And like, after that loss, like, yes, their effort got better, their energy got better, but they also like switched way more than they had at in any game over the entire course of the season in that second game against Boston. Mm-hmm. And once they started doing that, um, once they started not surrendering open looks, like all that other stuff, all that intangible stuff, kind of came together too. Like the Bucks looked awesome on defense against Boston. They were helping all over the place they were recovering they were covering all sorts of ground they like did not let Kyrie get comfortable for for a second in that series whether it was because of George Hill and Bledsoe playing great individual defense or because if he did manage to beat them there were there were dudes waiting for him like they just looked really imposing and I think um I want to see if the Bucks find a way to look imposing again to look intimidating again because one of the early storylines when the Raptors were not playing well was Nick Nurse saying, like, you got to challenge those guys just because they're good defensively. Don't let them off the hook. Go attack, bro. Go, go attack Derek Kumpo. And, like, the fact that Giannis fouled out in game three, like, I think that's kind of a big deal. I, mm-hmm. I think the fact that they aren't just saying, all right, screw it. We're not even going to try to get to the rim. We're not always going to finish in there. But if you get there and they're showing a ton of help, we get open threes. Like, you're not just going to settle for bad shots. I think the Raptors just made uh, – they've like made an emphasis on and i think they've really followed through in terms of exploiting the way the bucks are playing whether it's because they're obsessed with protecting the rim or whether it's because they're like completely uh focused on not letting Kawhi get comfortable mm-hmm. and i think uh in a way that is probably not healthy like they're philadelphia uh, uh did a lot to try to uh kind of make Kawhi feel like there were people waiting for him the Bucks have taken it to uh just a a, a crazy extreme like it, <laughs> it, it's it's ridiculous like that that, that is that, that is something that I think will be dialed down uh, in game five we'll get to some specific adjustment suggestions from the mouth of James Herbert himself in just a second uh but first I want to remind people of our sponsor for today or one of our sponsors for today and that is grip six belt today's show is brought to you by grip six where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives. They do have a women's collection, ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with a buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 is a special offer for you as well at grip6.com slash lock. That's grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, James. So we've kind of covered some issues that the Bucks are having on both ends of the floor over the last two games. Um, their half-court offense has been terribly inefficient. I'm not sure what the number is after game four, but it was, I believe, 0.8 points per possession in the first three games of the series. And I don't imagine yeah. it improved much after game, uh, after game four. 
and their half-court defense, like, the Raptors have kind of found some cracks there, as we talked about with the more cumbersome bigs and maybe finding some areas to target there. Um, is there, like, do you have, like, a, an adjustment in mind for either side or both sides that you are maybe, like, pretend Mike Budenholzer is, like, asking for your advice right now? What, what would be your suggestion on each side of the ball if there was one thing they could change or a couple things they could change on either side? I'd be very confused if he was asking me for advice. Uh, I don't think think he needs that. Um, But I mean, like, I think there's some kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of, like, you you don't really want to see Ilyasova uh, playing, like, as the lone big. You don't really... I think just in general, you don't need as many minutes for the Ilyasova-Miritich combo. Like, you, you could even decide, like, we're not playing one of them if, if you want mm-hmm. uh i think they it, it, it's tough because the way that they've played all year like they've kind of been able to get away with a lot of stuff um because their scheme sort of just encourages teams i think to take the easy way out like they're they were very good in terms of letting uh, not great three-point shooters launch threes in terms of uh, letting guys step into mid-range shots that are like mm, kind of contested mm-hmm. um, and just like if you want to get to the rim okay but like you're really gonna have to to work for it and I think the Raptors are just approaching that now in like a really purposeful smart way like they just believe they can get what they want not the shots that Milwaukee is like letting it get so um it's it's like just from a strategic perspective like i would be shocked um if he did what a lot of us nerdy people on the internet want and that's just throwing dj wilson out there um (laughs) because the guy has not played in a long time and i think bud clearly doesn't trust him but uh in in case of emergency i like i mean kind of like you at least understand why people are screaming about that, right? Like, he's a dude that's, like, really mobile, can, like, hit the occasional three, and he's really tall and can, like, guard some wings and guards, you know? Like, he he did that during the regular season, and um, I I don't know that we'll see that, but I think maybe in place of that, they'll um, go small in different ways and have Giannis play a little at five, but it's like... It's tricky because it's easy for us to diagnose that problem and say, all right, don't play those dudes. And then Budenholzer can say, like, all right, well, let's look at all the, like, offensive rebounds Serge Ibaka got. Yeah. Like, if if you go small, there, there are always other issues. So um, a lot of it is just, like, it kind of depends how the game plays out. Because, for example, like, if I'm telling you, I think the Bucks are helping too much on Kawhi Leonard, and the Raptors are getting way too comfortable looks because of it. And like that was how I felt after last night's game, right? Like it is easy for me to say that. Mm-hmm. You go into Game Five, and you decide, all right, you're gonna do the opposite, right? Like you are not, you are going to really focus on like you actually want to pressure Mark Gasol so he can't make plays. You don't want to leave. The shooters, and you're just gonna say, "All right, I like we have Chris Middleton, um, and if we if he gets burned, we have Yonsei Adekunpo. We're gonna like pretty much guard Kawhi straight up and dare him to beat us individually." Like 
we've seen what Kawhi has done in, in some of those situations. Like, <laughs> he can just come out and get super comfortable and make a couple of those plays one-on-one, get right to the basket for layups or just pull up for mid-range jumpers. And then by the time you're like, oh, I guess we should change this, well, he already has a rhythm, and now he's making those jumpers over two guys. And then everything else is happening, and then you end up with another situation where after the game, Chris Middleton is sitting at the podium saying they got whatever they wanted. We didn't stop them mid-range. We didn't stop them threes. We didn't stop any of their guys. Everybody had a good game. And you're looking at yourself like, well, how the hell did this happen? So uh, I don't want to hold myself up to be like some kind of like I, I have all the answers for the Bucks here. I just think they need to try to find some lineups uh, where they don't look so kind of plotting. Yeah. Like they, I, I think the, the Raptors have really made them look uh, sort of slow and unathletic, which is crazy considering how we've talked about this team all year and the fact that like they have Giannis and Bledsoe. Yeah, and on the offensive side of things, I talked a little bit about this last night with uh, with Reynolds on our post game podcast, and I I wonder what you think. I maybe I'll throw this to you. Like, so I suggested maybe the crazy idea of just like not having Giannis on the ball so much because I feel like the Raptors have kind of found like obviously you're not going to stop Giannis every single time he's going to get his way to the rim he's going to Euro step you and he if they run every possession where it's just like Giannis isoing a dude like a lot of the time that's going to end in something good for Milwaukee but I wonder if maybe there are different more sort of creative ways to sort of unlock him a little bit and I kind of think back to the Sixers series when the best offense the Sixers found against the Raptors was having you know Joel Embiid run pick and roll and just have him be like a, yeah. a, a marauding dive man. And the Raptors had no real answer for it. And for some reason, the Sixers kind of went away from it over the course of the series, whether it was because Embiid was hurt or because like they don't like to do that very often. But it was oh. it, it was really successful when they did it. And it feels like they haven't really used Giannis as a screener very much. It feels like they're kind of like they're kind of walling off certain parts of their overall effectiveness because they have one guy who doesn't shoot or can't shoot or the Raptors are very okay with shooting, handling the ball a lot in Giannis, or it's Bledsoe, and Bledsoe, they're just like not worrying about it all right now. The Raptors don't care about Bledsoe. Like no, they, he's they will let been him awful. Whatever he wants. Yeah, so I don't know. Do you, is yeah. there a way? Like I, I, the, the, the point I made last night is the times last night where I was the most scared of Giannis was when he was like cutting. And they were using yeah. Middleton's gravity, which there's enough of that on its own because he was incredible last night. Um, like, there's enough Middleton gravity that maybe you can kind of open some stuff up away from the ball and you can kind of use Giannis and his just, like, insane cutting and unguardability away from the ball to maybe open some stuff up that way. I, I don't know. I, I'm finding myself yeah. just, like, less terrified of the Bucks than I thought I was going to. And I guess a lot of that is just because Bledsoe has fallen off so badly in this series and it's just been... So not what was advertised when people were suggesting he might just shut down Kyle Lowry, first team all defense, Eric Bledsoe, and like it's just been uh-huh. it's been rough for him on both sides. I, I, is there something the Bucks aren't doing on offense that like is annoying you that you're not seeing it more often, or, or what do you think? Well, I think that they like what the what the Raptors found last night is like what is elusive for the Bucks so far because when they are at their best, like. It's a pretty similar philosophy. I mean, I, I think there's they're more like just straight drive and kick based because of their their spacing and the fact that Giannis is one of the best downhill drivers you could ever like imagine playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they 
they do like to move the ball. They like to swing it. They like to um, just play kind of free rather than play scripted basketball where you're just running plays. And I think, you know, like what, what you're talking about, like you're not as afraid of Giannis where he is just like handling the ball and everybody's watching him. Like I remember like to, to take it back sort of the Sixers series, like, like you were talking about with the pick and rolls there. Like I remember listening to like the, the rights to Ricky Sanchez during that series. And like those guys saying like, I'm not like terrified of, Kawhi having a great game like he can have a great one-on-one game and the Sixers can still be okay Mm -hmm. and that was because the other guys weren't doing that much and he was taking tough shots over Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler or whatever and uh, like that's how a lot of those close games against Philadelphia went and they did have a chance to win and they did win some of them and I and I think that's sort of kind of similar to to what you're saying here about Giannis is like what what makes the Bucks scary is like number one when they run (laughs) Yeah. That is terrifying. Um, and then number two, when it's like this barrage of like open threes for Brogdon or Miritich or Lopez and like Giannis is creating them. And like if you try to overload on him or stop him, he's making these like really simple, easy baskets. And you're just like, wait, did they solve basketball? Like, is there any way to stop this? Like, what the hell do you do? You know, like that, that when they look their most dominant, like that's what it was. Like they were just playing so free and having so much fun and uh it, it wasn't the case that they were like this like desperate to to get in transition uh to to have any semblance of offense like it is now like yeah like their transition offense in the regular season was like great they ran a ton but their half court offense was like what third best in the league something like that mm-hmm. like their half court offense was was phenomenal and it was a pretty simple system uh but i think bud gave his guys a lot of freedom uh, he even to to get Chris Middleton a little more comfortable over the course of the season, Bud relaxed his rules on uh, sort of shot location a little bit, saying like, "All right, every once in a while, like if you want to like go like to the mid post and take a jumper over someone from 15 feet, like you go, Chris. That's fine. Like it's just a couple of possessions. Okay, it's okay. Like we want we want you to feel like you're you're playing your game and doing your thing, and um, that." that sort of overall rhythm and flow that the Raptors have kind of been searching for and is honestly, like, is often very hard to find in the playoffs. Um, like, that, that is what the Bucks are searching for now, too. And uh, I think the way the Raptors are defending them has, has made it difficult. Uh, I, I think the fact that Bledsoe has shot so poorly and is not really dealing with the Raptors defense in a smart way like that that's made things difficult too and that's made his his minutes go down and like they do have a lot of depth but like at, at a certain point if if bled isn't doing all that much um they, they they're gonna end up reliant on Giannis creating offense unless they get creative and i think um yeah you can script some things like you can tell Giannis like all right like if they're cross-matched and you like don't have Kawhi. Uh, guarding you if you have like and I think they've done some of this like when he landed up with like Danny Green on him or whatever like you like need to go like and like bully ball and like get a like easy bucket like really put pressure on them make them send help mm-hmm. make the extra pass whatever um, wh- whether it's like running him and screen rolls more like all that stuff like that 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 that's all cool I just think like if if your intention is like we're going to use Giannis as the screener over and over again then I think there there are adjustments the Raptors can make to that. And I think actually, to your point about the Sixers using Embiid 
in the pick and roll. But by the end of that series, you had uh, Kawhi Leonard guarding Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. and Marcus All guarding Joel Embiid, and they're they're trying to run this pick and roll against two former Defensive Players of the Year, and it wasn't <laughs> yielding the same stuff that it was yielding earlier. Uh, when Kawhi was on Ben Simmons, and I think um, you, you you might be able to get some mileage out of like be doing that sort of predictable like matchup hunting stuff, um, but I think what the Bucks are are looking for is like a, a bigger picture solution where they're they're running the offense and that's generating them buckets and that that like I said that is hard to do and if it ends up being some like ugly grinded out slugfest uh, at the end of it, then they'll have to like kind of roll with that and figure that out just like the Raptors will do. Uh, but I think ideally like they're, they're looking for, for uh, a kind of faster paced game uh, than they've had. And um, just sort of a more freewheeling offense where guys can, can feel more comfortable and the Raptors are making that really tough. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm glad you mentioned like the Gasol-Kawhi combination on defense because that is something to remind yourself of when you're watching teams struggle offensively against Toronto. Like, the Raptors are really fucking good at defense, and they're so they're smart. And the Raptors have never had a team like this. Yeah, it's, 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 like, it's jarring to watch. It's, it's new. It's, like, it, it's just a delight to watch. They're so, so smart, and, like, the doubles they're sending Giannis's way are so early, yeah. and, like, they're so... Like it, like calculated in terms of who's helping off of who, who are they letting the ball swing to to take threes? A lot of the time it's Bledsoe and they just don't care. And it's the rotation just been so crisp and the communication. Like you're never going to play 48 minutes of defense across a game. And at the start of the season it was like they'd play six minutes in the fourth quarter to kind of win games and that was it. But like they're really scaling it up to like half the game now. They're playing in this just like monstrous just just choke every ounce of life out of you style and it is so so fun to watch um before we get into one of those individual defenders and an honor he received today do you have any uh any closing thoughts on what's coming in game five or like you have a prediction Uh, predictions are dumb like what are you where are you leaning for the series like are you still feeling good about your raptors prediction or um what are you thinking now I feel comfortable with it. I think they've at least shown enough in the two games at home that, like, even if they lose the next two, I don't think I look like a total idiot uh, <laughs> for picking them in the series. Uh, look, I, I think style, like stylistically, like I'm just interested in what what these games look like mm-hmm. because I think the like we we talked off the top about like just kind of the the way the Raptors played and like what they were able to to get against this defense like that that's that was the whole story to me uh the story to me was basically when the raptors had the ball everything that happened that was the story that's what stood out and the, and the reason why uh th- that's the case is that honestly after the first few games like i just kind of looked at the series and i was like i think this might just be a slugfest this might just be like every game is like super close these are two incredible defensive teams uh, I, I'm not sure that either one is talented as they are offensively. As great as Kawhi is, as great as Giannis is, 
Like, I'm not sure that either team is going to find that kind of rhythm, that sort of flow. Like, I'm not sure they're going to stumble on the right lineup combination or the right strategy where they're going to have something that they can exploit over and over again and really get comfortable. Uh, I just thought it might be back and forth like that for the rest of the series, which was honestly how a lot of the Philadelphia-Toronto series felt to me as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it, it was... It was interesting to see that in in game four, like, yeah, the Bucks were playing a grinded out game. The Raptors were certainly not. Um, <laughs> so go, going into the next one, I'm like, all right, I want to. I, I just want to see what this feels like. There's yeah. if the Raptors can do that again, that would be super fun for everybody in Toronto. And I think I, I'm fascinated to see if it is close and I expect it to be close if it's because the Bucks find some answers on defense or because the Bucks find some answers on offense because mm-hmm. like look if we get into this high scoring thing where both teams are generating open shots and it's up and down and it's not your typical sort of uh, playoff game and and it's just a bunch of uh, sort of floor spread highly skilled teams like that like that is kind of ideal too right yeah. <laughs> like I, I would be into that series where we have like 120 to 118 game. Uh, I I didn't think before Game 4 that that was remotely possible, and, and now I'm ready for it. Both of these teams are very, very good and can play any style, and that is uh, really yeah. fun. That creates a very good series where every game kind of has yeah. its own identity. Um, let's quickly wrap up with the news of the day, James. Uh, the all-defense teams came down. Giannis and Eric Bledsoe both named the first team all-defense. I'm not sure that's entirely a surprise. Uh, maybe you could quibble with Drew Holiday. Uh, that's or That's a little much Bledsoe. for Bledsoe, I think. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, <laughs> hasn't looked great so far in the series. But uh, the, the, the thing that we care about here, Kawhi Leonard, yes. the first all-defensive player in the history of the Toronto Raptors, finally. The Raptors have one. It only took trading for Kawhi Leonard to do it. Um, Jamario Moon should have made it at some point, and uh, I really can't even think of any other snubs. <laughs> it's it's been that lean. Well, I mean, had they kept PJ Tucker, yeah, fair uh, enough. <laughs> who was just barely beaten out, uh, I think, by Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, this, then you never know. I mean, yeah, it's thoughts on Kawhi. Well, it's, you sound un- yeah. you sound unimpressed. <laughs> I mean, are we are we putting people in because of like what they can be or like what they did in the regular season? Like yeah. he's one of the best individual defenders I've ever seen. Uh, like maybe the best wing defender I've ever seen. Like he's up with like the like he's up there with like who else? Like Scotty Pippen, Tony like, Allen, yeah, Andre Iguodala. Yeah. Uh, like I mean, and the difference is like I mean I guess Pippen had almost like hands that were almost as big, but like. Kawhi is just able to do stuff that other guys can't do in help situations, in one-on-one situations where he just rips the ball uh, away. Like when when he's at his best, when he's really really on, like he is the like he looks like the best defender in the world. But I just look in the regular season, he rarely guarded the opponent's best player. He rarely looked like he was operating at like higher than like sixty percent effort. And I I don't fault him for this stuff. That that's like. You do that so you can play 52 minutes in a double overtime playoff game. <laughs> you do that so you can like have the energy to like loft a shot barely over Joel Embiid's fingers and like make one of the like best shots in the history of the sport that you're playing. Like I, I get it. I'm just not sure that he deserves this honor this year. Like I think Danny Green to me 
got snubbed. He was the best defender on the team in the regular season. Uh, and Kawhi Leonard, like, let me let me be clear. I'm not mad. I think it's, like, dumb to get too worked up about all this. And I think it's, like, extra dumb to get mad about, like, one of the best defenders in NBA history being named to the all-defensive team. Like, that's fine. It's cool. I just I wouldn't have had him on. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I think there's a case to be made based on, like you said, the games he played, the... Uh, the, the level to which he scaled it up, for the most part. I mean, he had some sequences. Ask Ben Simmons. He had some games where he was sure. peak ball-snatching Kawhi, but that wasn't a regular occurrence by any means, and there were reasons behind that. I think you could argue that, like, Siakam, Lowry, Green, and maybe even Abaka were maybe more deserving for their full season defensive efforts than, than Kawhi was. And, like, obviously the reputation is... Uh, is obviously a big thing here because Kawhi is, as you said, one of the best defenders ever. But uh, like, I guess it speaks to how good the Raptors are on defense, right? I think all, I think outside of Ibaka, all those guys got boats: Lowry, Green, and Siakam. So that's cool, and that's a nice feather in the Raptors' cap, I suppose. But um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And Marcus All, like, yeah, people forget this because like in Memphis, like he got hurt like what like a month into the season. Or something, but like right at the beginning of the year, Memphis had like the best defense in the league, and Mark looked like prime Mark. Like he was arguably the best defender in the NBA for the first month or so of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, that slipped a little bit. Uh, I think he got better later in the year with with Toronto. He's playing incredible defense in in the playoffs and like shut down Vooch and mostly shut down Embiid, and they they wouldn't be here without him. Uh, but like I, I I'm not saying he should have got all defense but i think people sort of just assume that since he's like 34 and since the game has changed and since he's not like that great at like recovering to the three-point line that like he's not like he's like so different than he was in his prime like he's mostly the same dude Mm -hmm. and he was never a great defender because he was a crazy athlete like he was a great defender because like he's like a genius and he's insanely tough mm-hmm. and like he's still all those things so i mean I, this i just think like the fact that we're even talking about all these different dudes like it just goes back to what we were what we were talking about a few minutes ago like there's never been a raptors team like this yeah uh the, the way that they swarm guys the way that they do it not in like a wild way like like the bucks not not this year's bucks but like the bucks of the past few years <laughs> where they're just like let's like trap everyone like <laughs> And then, like, try to use our link. Like, it's not like that. Like, they're, they're just they're, – they know how to use the the attributes that they have defensively, and they're they're just so smart about it, and they're so defensively talented. Uh, and I think Nurse wants them to play aggressively and force turnovers and use defense to create offense. And um, I, I think if there were times this year where he would have liked them to force a lot more turnovers and then turn it up a little more, but, like, they were always kind of pacing themselves. And, like, I, I think we've seen in these playoffs, like, whether you want to look at the the three possessions against Philadelphia in Game Seven, uh, or whether you want to look at just the work that they've done to a, a great regular season offense in in Milwaukee over these these games, whether win or lose, aside from uh, Game Two, like the, the defense has been insane. Like I just I think there's been so much talk about like are they relying on Kawhi too much? Like are these perimeter shots gonna go in? Like blah 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 it's like offense 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 but like we have seen like pretty damn consistently since the start of the postseason like this Raptors team played the best defense that any iteration of the Raptors had ever played and that's I think because 
uh, they've just never had a team that's talented defensively, but also because like they figured out how to do it together. I will say Kevin O'Neill's defense was uh, very good. Oh. They just scored at a rate so horrendous that uh, the front office called the, the front office of the league called Glenn, Glenn Grunwald in the middle of the first month of the season and said, "Why can't you guys score?" So <laughs> they don't have that problem this time around. Uh, that that was a dark time in Raptors history. Oh, truly, truly dark. <laughs> Fucking Kevin O'Neill, man. Come a long way since Kevin O'Neill. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it here, James. Thank you so much for taking the time, dude. This was great. Uh, anything that people should uh, be on the lookout for from you? Uh, I mean, I'm just continued coverage of the series. I'm not in Milwaukee for this next game, but I'll be here in Toronto for, for game six. And I have a column up uh, right now on a lot of the things we talked about. So I don't know how it like interesting it'll be after this conversation but i got i got a column off of last night's game and i'll probably do something to set up the next one i don't even know it, the, i the, i don't know what day it is i don't know what's going on it's playoffs this is really fun but i'm like i i'm back home in my mom's house and i'm going to the acc but it's not called the acc anymore and the raptors are maybe going to the finals it's all nuts so uh yeah i'll i'll, I'll be writing more things about this uh, crazy series on board. Sounds good, man. Thank you for doing this. Everyone, <laughs> please subscribe to, rate, and review. And please read James's piece. He spoiled all his content on the uh, on the podcast, so please go read it as well. It's the least you could do. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review uh, this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Himalaya. Of course, if you're looking for a brand new podcast app, that is the one to try out. Big thanks to Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip6 for sponsoring today's show. Um, let Drake do whatever the hell he wants on the sideline. Give more shoulder rubs, I say. Give him the seats next to Nick Nurse on the bench in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, stop being giant babies about it. That would be ideal. Uh, and I think that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. We'll talk to you next time, probably after Game 5 in Milwaukee on Thursday night with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.